podcast, Harsh Tiwari from Kuna Mutual Group talks about fabric of a data science leader in financial world. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to another episode of uh, Future of Data podcast. Today we have an interesting guest, uh, Harsh Tiwari and a brief bio. So Harsh is Senior VP and Chief Data Officer at CUNA Mutual Group in Madison, Wisconsin. His primary responsibilities include leading enterprise-wide data initiatives, providing strategy and policy guidance for data acquisitions, usage and management. He joined the company in July 2015. Before joining CUNA, uh, Harsh spent many years working in information technology, analytics and data intelligence. He worked at Capital One Financial Group in Plano, Texas for 17 years, where he most recently focused on creating an effective data and business intelligence environment to manage risks across the company as the head uh, of risk management data and business intelligence. He has also served as a divisional CIO for small business credit card and consumer lending, head of portfolio and delivery management, head of auto financial and data business uh, intelligence, business information officer of Capital One Canada, an analyst, senior manager uh, of small business data and system analysis. A native of India, uh, Harsh earned a BS in mechanical engineering from Mysore um, and an MBA of financial and MIS from Drexel University in Philadelphia. In his spare time, Harsh enjoys golfing and spending time with his wife Rashmi and this uh, son who is 12 and a daughter who is 8. With that, Harsh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Vishal, for having me. Really excited about talking to you and all of your viewers. Um, like you said, I think, you know, I've, I've spent a decent amount of time data. And trust me, on a, on a school of hard knocks, you learn a lot of stuff. So I'm excited in sharing what I can. Beautiful, beautiful. So I think um, f- fabulous background. I think finance has been uh, one of the early adopters of all the data capabilities that has been brewing and they have been sort of because of regulation and because of the amount of transactional data and data that they handle one of the fantastic area to be uh, to be a data scientist and and data officer in so why don't you walk our our, our um, viewers and listeners through your journey to what bring you here and what what's your background and what bring you to to kuna and, and your past sure um so I'll start, you know, at the beginning when I joined Capital One. Um, way back in May of 1998, Capital One hired me as amongst their first data analysts. And, and real story, you know, I walk in day one into my work and my manager says, you know what, you're smart, you passed all of the process and we have hired you as a data analyst, but I don't know what the hell a data analyst does. <laughs> and I'm talking about, you know, 1998 when the role data analyst mm. really did not even exist. Mm. So I got really lucky, Vishal, you know, in my career in terms of defining, you know, what is this thing called data analysis? Mm. Why should you have it? What do they do? How do they do it? Um, very early on in my life, uh, as I was starting to look at the behavioral data, um, uh, again, I was really lucky because mm. there was no defined kind of Path for this is what a data analyst does. So, you know, I could essentially go look at several things. And among the first things I look at was this behavioral data. And what I figured out was <clears throat> despite your best upfront decisioning, you know, everybody uses FICO. We used to use FICO mm-hmm. for deciding. 
But within 30 and 60 days, the transactional data allowed me to split risk by an incremental factor of 10. Wow. That's fantastic because in the lending business, you know, losses and, and credit risk management is king. And so with that insight, we essentially developed this whole series of strategies called BBAM, behavior-based account management, mm. that essentially led for small business, turned that portfolio around from losing about $10 million to making 25, but applied to the broader US car portfolio led to almost a billion dollars in extra income. And that power, seeing just what data can do for you, essentially set me down the path that said, how do you make it structural for the company to do this? Mm -hmm. I had stumbled on it almost by accident. I was lucky. And what I then have spent my career, whether it was CIO for Canada or the CDO for auto finance, CIO for our consumer businesses, risk management, and, and then, you know, obviously at Kill Mutual is to essentially structurally develop infrastructure, people, systems, such that you can get to the data, get to the insights, and then most importantly, in my opinion, implement the insights into a strategy that allows people to see the bottom line impact. Hmm. That in a nutshell is how I would classify my journey. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. So, um, couldn't have said any better, I think. I, and thank you so much for walking us through that. So, tell us about, about your current role. Like, what is a chief data officer um, at a company like Kuna Mutual Group looks like? What What is exactly that? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. Fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, First Friday Fair. .tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, sure. So generically, I think, you know, over three to five years, companies have realized just how powerful this thing called data can be. You know, everything from the Amazons of the world to the quicker loans, people that have leveraged data have very quickly established beachhead positions that have become unassailable. Mm. You know, I can obviously have named Amazon, I can name Capital One, my own employer. Mm. Fundamentally, what happened across the industry is this realization that you have mounds of data sitting. Mm. Now, in general, historically, you know, as the data warehousing revolution grew, people have leveraged the value proposition that are sitting in silos. So finance typically understands mm. everything from financial reporting and the financial data. Marketing people, you know, generally saw the value out of their marketing and sales data. What I think the smarter guys realized is when you break down these silos and you start integrating these, there is a lot more value to be deployed. Hmm. And that's where I think, you know, people started going with this idea of CDO to say, how hmm. do we get all of our data assets together and how do we really unleash the power of data? And that, I think, you know, in a, in a nutshell is what a lot of CDOs are in the business of is um, figuring out how to take all the data that exists probably in silos, meld it all together and allow that sort of democratization. All of these topics, none of them is new. But what I think has happened is as the technology keeps on advancing, as tools keeps on coming, as big data and cloud infrastructure became available, 
the marginal cost of doing business with data mm. keeps massively declining like it's mm. the that classic you know technological curve and so the possibilities keep on opening up and becoming bigger and bigger and in comes the cdo role now i'll tell you across the industry there's still confusion right people mm. are hired cdo Mm. some report into the it world others report into finance yet another you know report even into cto so there's the still structural unstability around just where exactly does thing this thing fit mm. um, there are elements that are absolutely technical there are elements that are absolutely very business oriented because eventually you need to convert the insight into analyst where it will evolve i don't know But if I'm a betting man, I think you know there are pieces here that you essentially want to be central to how you even think about your corporate strategy, mm. and that's where, in my personal opinion, it makes the most sense is to start thinking about it as a strategic asset that allows a company to distinguish itself and really knock the ball out of the park. So that's kind of partly that's what I do at 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 you know mutual is to figure out how to leverage all the different disparate. businesses data silos that we have and how do you bring that power to bear such that you can have over performance versus history interesting and and what is kuna mutual group if you can walk us through what 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 is this come what, what do you guys do yeah so fascinating kuna uh, mutual group you know is a 80 year old company that's been uh, uh, generally focuses specifically on uh, the credit union segment Uh, about 80 90% uh, 95 plus percent of the uh, credit unions are their customers and essentially they do everything that is kind of cannot be done by credit unions because they have their legal charter mm. but in definitely in terms of serving the members of the credit union mm. interesting interesting so um, i think you you listened a uh, pretty interesting point about um, the the location of chief data officer like who who does they report to what is your observation like what what have you seen and what do you prefer seeing when it comes to putting a context of say financial industries or or maybe risk industries what do you think that uh, that the location where that is most most suitable for a chief data officer to to exist on Yeah, so I'll give you my observation and then my opinion. My observation is, I think companies have started this journey in terms of putting CDO best on base, best based on where they think the value proposition is, mm. uh, and, and there's a wide disbursement in that area. Um, some of the most te- technologically savvy, data savvy companies don't even have a CDO. Capital mm. One, for example, there is no corporate CDO mm. because the co- if there is everybody needs to be a smart data sensitive mm. and mm. data savvy analyst mm. so so they have these, you know army like 5 10000 analysts that are super users and every day explore data and their insights versus a majority of other companies that are just kind of starting mm. essentially centralized cdo um those that are more technologically focused as in we need to centralize our it assets typically put that position in the it world hmm other that are more focused on well i need to figure out before i invest what to even do where is the value proposition over here you know perhaps they've been burned by all the past hype over crm or 
operational risk and, and, and a whole bunch of topics. So they tend to focus more on the analytics part and tend to base a CTO more closer to an analytic role like a CAO. My personal opinion is the best place to put it is some central role that mm. essentially serves everything from products, mm. as in how do you sell better, how do you make sure that your consumers essentially understand the value proposition and leverage it, but also serves the internal parts of the company to say, how do you make your operations, your mm. risk management, your actuaries, your finance, how do you make them be better, faster, cheaper, more effective with data? Um, BI mm. has gotten a lot of mileage in the in the recent world, um, and there is a massive value proposition over there. I'll give you a very simple example, mm. right? We've taken uh, almost two separate teams of reporting analysts, and we have automated all of their dashboards such that about 20, 30 headcount has now been freed up. Mm. Now, good news is for the company that is operational cost saving, mm. but my personal so the companies, instead of thinking about that, why don't we reinvest that in driving innovation and incremental mm. learning, mm. right? So, so a lot of people think about data sometimes and analytics, typically in that, you know, classic, describe the elephant problem. Mm. There is a trunk, there are four trees, there's a tail, but mm. the whole elephant is really anything and everything. It's, it's, it's one of the best fields as in you can play in any of these vectors that you wanted to optimizing sales, optimizing processes, optimizing risk, optimizing um, you know financial reporting, so on and so forth. But not not a single one of them essentially covers what is the wide variety of data. It's a target-rich field which makes it both exciting, but paradoxically very risky mm. because you also need to focus on kind of where exactly your corporate culture is what is the most acceptable so you can get to that value proposition and sustainable investment quickly that i think is something that a lot of cdos struggle a lot of companies actually struggle which is where kind of the cdo placement also mm. starts very significantly interesting no i think so you raised a very interesting point and and i remember like um i was having this conversation with a um, couple of months back with one of the oil and gas um, executive about the location of a CDO. And and, and I think, and my rant to this, that executive was, hey, you know what, uh, businesses look at this, this position as a, more of a transactional role. And I think you pointed out pretty nicely that value defined um, uh, the CDO role today that you are observing. But but what you wanted to see is, is more of a relational, like more of a thinking uh, 10 step ahead, thinking about the future. And then strategically allocating the C, uh, CDOs or CAOs, how, however you want to look at them, and then empower them with, with sort of uh, right structure, right architecture, and sort of right strategy that they can execute for the future growth. And I think it was it was fascinating that this gentleman was saying that the pressure that he gets about hiring a CDO for his current need is so high that it's very difficult for him to sort of think a 10-step ahead and, and thinking it in a very clean way where should I locate um, this office that ultimately eventually will also start becoming one of one of the uh, center of excellence uh, sort of office for us. Uh, so do you have any thought on that? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. 
fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, sure. To me, it is, you know, um, both the biggest exciting part of the role and arguably the hardest one to achieve in that it's it's very easy to intuitively understand Mm -hmm. that data has value and you should be able to deploy that value. Um, And typically where that value comes from is either increase the revenue or decrease Mm -hmm. the cost. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's kind of one one end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum that you know, I have actually talked to my peers and said to say that any one person can essentially change that equation radically and suddenly get you from you know one percent growth to twenty percent. That's just you know smoking funny mm-hmm. weed. Mm-hmm. I don't know that any one person can do it. So, mm-hmm. what what I think. You know, in my opinion, an ideal CDO role and its placement and is is really more about changing the culture. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say changing the culture, what it means is um, democratizing decision making. So you have data, but really the data and the insights contained in any one small sphere don't help. Mm-hmm. What helps is making it, distributing it to the point where it can be acted upon. If, you know, I really in my role don't talk to customers. It's the frontline people that do. Enabling them to see what would be the next best sales opportunity, Mm. enabling to see what the history of the calls is so they can better predict, enabling them to see the next set of actions that we are able to mine from a data is where the power of data is. But to make that happen, right, comes everything from collecting the data, developing the insights, deploying the insights at the right time to the frontline associate who then has to take. Now, mm. in that chain, there's a series of topics that need to be solved for everything from infrastructure and IT. How do you take the data? How do you um, assemble the insight? And then how do you deliver that insight at the real-time basis? Which is why, you know, sometimes when, when people talk about digital and people talk about data and people talk about analytics and machine learning, I think of all of those as a continuum. Mm. Your input is data. Every time somebody interacts with you, your customer, your suppliers, they are telling you important pieces of information. Looking at them, analyzing them, synthesizing them into a set of actions that then go out to the front line such that the next interaction is better for them because mm. you already have known, you've deployed that insight, you've learned from their previous experience, so they don't have to repeat it and you essentially move on to the next step. Mm. Getting all of that right includes everything from you know the, the data, the analysis, and then hence last mile is the digitized service that allows people to self-service, that allows people to interact much more effectively. That's how you save your ops cost. That's Mm. how you improve your risk profile. That's how you get better customer interactions. So to me, all of these are a continuum. And unless you think about and solve for them, Mm. looking at them silos, essentially all it is doing is cutting the old silos, which was, you know, a finance data warehouse, a customer data warehouse, and, and essentially building now a new set of silos to say, 
this mm. is digital this is data that is analytics mm. but until you connect the system you're not really getting the end point which is the value proposition and that's i think beautifully put harsh i think I, i thank you so much for sharing that and when you were saying that i think one thing that 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 comes to me uh, comes to my mind is so i was looking at when i was looking at your profile right so um like in your bio during capital one days like almost every position that you hold has an element of data in it right so that's so capital one is very sort of uh, very good at at managing data or they're very good at sort of the central key of everyone should be aligned with data right but when you look at say other banks and and um, one of my client west coast bank regional bank very old school but they're still a bank right so now when when you from your vantage point look when you were with capital one or when you are now looking at other financial institutes what do you think is the fabric of capital one that has made them so successful and in sort of in managing this data that other businesses could learn from um so specifically to capital one the answer is really really simple um the ceo rich fairbanks is just amazing visionary um it helps that he's a physicist by training so mm. fundamentally understands a lot of data and analytics and right from the get go 1994 when the company went public for the first time the whole value proposition was we can use data to massively price people much more effectively mm. rather than the typical you know i'm going back into history where you know it was $5000 and 19.9% interest rate mm. right that's how credit cards work yeah. capital one was the first company that came up and said hey you know what we'll let you transfer your balances for 2.9 3.9 mm. 5.9% and because we think we know and understand your risk far better we can price you at all these different pricing points that have now become the norm mm. um, so, so capital one you know given that is where it started it just grew from there so I'll, i'll give you a very simple example i i touched on it a little bit earlier even in this conversation the company believes it, the bank really 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 believes in data so much so that um uh, and i'll give you three data points that kind of you know prove the point so mm. to speak number one every single analyst is expected to access their own data so the data environment mm. that hosted at capital one right from the get go it was oracle first then it was teradata now we're moving to a cloud based platform but right from the get go every analyst understands unix sql such that they extract their own data they are super users with the idea of creating their own tables i have not seen a single institution that forces that requirement on every analyst don't matter whether you are business mm-hmm. analyst or financial analyst or operational analyst credit analyst so on and so forth right so they massively democratized this notion of data and analysis across the board and that is their they essentially you know modus operandi to every single mm. business and product and things that they have done uh, so that's number one number two when when capital one started this whole notion of digital and mm. and they are the leading forefront of digital mm. started with almost you know 100 million plus investment in digital saying it is strategic we believe it is the future digital banking is going to disrupt mm. we're not going to marginally think about you know where the roi and precisely what it is it is going to be a 
big investment, we are going to build our infrastructure, we are going to build services off of that. And we believe the payout will be there. And, and to this degree, I think in the latest investment, Paul Rich still says, I massively believe in it, I will continue to invest. We will see returns, but I am not looking for direct correlation between a dollar invested and a dollar 20 made. That's not how I think about digital banking. So those are examples of you know how the company grew up in this notion of data and analytics and digitization as a core principle of this is who we are. In fact, one of the uh, one of the most telling comments from Rich is really we are a banking just happens to be a product. Mm. We are a technology company. Our mm. customers interact with technology. They mm. don't interact with us bankers. They call us. They go online, they search for us, they look at our products, they compare our products all through technical medium. If we are not good technologically, our products will not win in the market space. That philosophy essentially is what distinguishes Capital One, I think, more from most any other bank. And it proves outright the bank has grown from a small monoline to now one of the top 10 banks in the United States mm. on the back of that philosophy. Interesting. So now, uh, with that in mind, right? So if if you if you look from your vantage point, say credit unions or or the regional banks that that, that you're looking around, how could they like how how are they performing uh, from that matrix of being data driven and being technology driven? Like wh what is their sort of uh, gap analysis, if if you can, like from your vantage, what what, what would you say? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so I think for Capital One, it is continuing to experiment and learn in the market space right. because the pace of change is so rapid. What people like changes so quickly. What people want from a bank, right? Very simplistically, I think for centuries now it's been true that people, when they think about banking and putting their money, they think about a branch. Mm. Uh, mm. And yet, if you think about it now, with you know e-checks being deposited, all the money being transferred digitally, what do you really need a bank for? Mm. Um, unless it's a very complicated transaction, maybe international wire transfers, which again, being an immigrant, I use it. But mm. 99 of the people don't really need those international wire transfer mm. types of transactions. Right. What you need for is really the physical presence to say, you know, emotionally I understand my money is somewhere secure in that branch, when mm. in reality it is nowhere in that branch. So then now the question for strategy is, how do you create that, that physical security without necessarily deploying a large amount of capital in the physical presence of a branch. So that's kind of, you know, one example of how the digital banking will mm. change your thinking around what your brand strategies need to be. So I mm. think, you know, and to me, I, I genericize this into a broader financial world to say mm. what people want and expect out of your financial services can now be fulfilled in a variety of different ways. In our own insurance world, Right. Um, take PNC. Mm. The fact that there is a claim historically, how would it work? 
you would call someone then you know somebody would come they would take pictures of all the damages on your car in today's world none of that needs to be true there are uh, iot sensors mounted on the mm. cars that talk about driving that should capture what and if where the incident happened you can verify that the claim is accurate you can ask the customer to take a picture and send it to you your claims can be verified you can send it to your you know partners who will fix the car so mm. the whole transaction now saved the cost of a person going looking at it verifying all of that can be transformed and essentially on the margin you will pay nothing for all of this information to be validated coming to you and the claim settled hmm. so not only is ops cost saved but the ops cost is saved even in the back office processes in hmm. terms of how long it takes you to cut all of these are i think experiments that are being conducted in the marketplace today where i think the world is headed is you know that what used to be core it principles hmm. agile development as an example is really becoming the core way the how the businesses operate you hmm. have to be more agile in the way you develop your strategy in the way you experiment and figure out what the consumers like and continuously learn from consumers and their evolving behaviors because consumers are now becoming very accustomed to power in their hand right i Not want to interact with you when you are open. I want to interact when it is more convenient to me. Why do I need to call you only between the hours of nine to five? My mm. accident happened offline. Why can't I just send it to you? You know, in off hours, you deal with it. That is your problem, not my problem. As the power continues to shift more towards consumers, they want and expect that paradigm. to exist everywhere it is no longer acceptable to say well on amazon i can order anything whenever i want but when it comes to my financial services i have to wait till you know hmm. 9 o'clock for the office to open and disrupt my own schedule to then talk to my financial advisor i hmm. think that is that is going to massively change and it is up to the companies to adapt paradoxically the other thing that will change right people are realizing that their data is at risk there is a lot of it being captured so people have to become trusted by them mm. to say i will let you have my data that trust factor is absolutely low in the banking space in the insurance space and my view is mm. whoever can build that trust factor more and more is going to end up winning because they will have access to a lot more intelligence and they can leapfrog the competition massively so it's that conundrum of both how do you collect more how do you analyze it more but you do it in a way that is consumer friendly that creepiness factor does not exist and it is much more friendly towards i want to help you and i will do it at your terms not at my terms that i think is the crux of where this whole thing that not that needs to be cracked is headed interesting uh again beautifully put harsh i think and that's i do appreciate you sharing that perspective so one thing that i was thinking about when you were talking about um, these uh, sort of regional banks was so i i was having this conversation with one of one of the credit union um, executive and and he and he was talking he was telling me a very good story so he said vishal you know what every credit union is is, uh, is assigned to a particular say either company either region religion whatever right so they already have a cultural perspective of who would be the subscriber right so there's always a so there even before we start there is a a bond between a customer 
and the bank. So customer satisfaction is high. Our, our number looks good. They are tolerant to our, our nuances. We are tolerant to their nuances. Like it's, there's a cultural sort of uh, thing going on. So we don't have that much of motivation to pursue data or to, to sort of to use data uh, to understand our customers because our customers are typically happy with us. What would you say to that executive? Um, so here's my view, right? Which is, I think all of us have seen examples of those that have pursued it and mm. they've gotten to a position which is slowly getting unassailable. Mm. That kind of the first year, right? The, the, the breakouts, the capital ones, the Amazons, the Quicken loans. Uh, Quicken loans to me is a fascinating example, mm. right? If you go back, what, less than 10 years ago, mm. they were nothing in the mortgage space. Everybody mm. knew it as a personal finance. Mm. So now they're the top five mortgage originators. Mm. Everybody has heard and seen that whole rocket mortgage. Mm. And all the time has taken data and on the back end massively optimized yeah. so you make a decision within, you know, minutes instead of waiting for hours at your convenience. So these beachheads essentially create an artificial demand where then the second leg of people, right? Once, once Google Mortgage becomes number one, once Amazon becomes number one and they're growing so massively, the next fast followers are quickly following them and saying, hey, why can't I get there? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that happens is once that happens, it becomes an existential threat to the long tail of people that are living behind. You know, mm. it's the classic change curve, right? The early adapters, then the mm. followers, but then there's a long tail. And my view is this is where you are, which is a lot of people are now thinking about it less even as an upside, as in, but more even as a existential threat. If I don't do this, there will be someone who will, and mm. then they will run away so far ahead that I will have to play catch up. I think there is definitely that existential threat. But there is equivalently this area is so vast that I think there's equivalent amount of cutting edge work going on where people are incrementally continuing to experiment and come up with new and different ways. Um, so, so to me, you know, it's a, it's a very dichotomous industry in that mm. you will find on that change curve people who are leading, people who are kind of on par and people who are following, but you'll almost not find anybody who wants to ignore this problem. Whether mm. you choose to ignore it because you don't want to do it or right. you choose to ignore it because, well, I don't even have, you know, the wherewithal. Now, people are looking at every, every which model, right? Um, Clearly, there are smaller companies that can't afford a full-time CDO. Hmm. They're looking to leverage vendors to get there. There are clearly people who can't hire enough talent. They are leveraging vendors. There are people who are looking to, you know, build their own kind of data, analytics, digital environment, um, de novo internally. All these, to me, are basically just symptoms of the core problem, which hmm. is you can't ignore this. So many people are doing so much interesting stuff hmm. that there is this threat that if I don't start, clearly I will be left behind. Hmm. That I think is a is a big motivator for the tail enders, for for the people on the cutting edge side. It's just the excitement of oh my god, what is not possible? Very simplistically, right? Um, I, I, I was reading one of the articles. Uh, 
from Berkshire Hathaway's coach, uh, um, who was talking about this notion that they can get into health insurance came from one of their board members who's also a board member for JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. And essentially it was, why wouldn't we deploy the power of data and transparency in the medical business where the costs have been outpacing and it's a massive, massive, massive problem to solve for. But why couldn't we? And, and Warren Buffet's whole view is, look, we need mm. to learn, we need mm. to do everything that allows this to become a competitive advantage versus a disadvantage that it is today. Mm. And I think that comes from this notion that if Amazon, which was essentially a book retailer, can develop a cloud service that allows everybody to innovate, why shouldn't that be the value proposition that essentially cracks the nut on medical services? Mm. Now, now, now you'll see in that statement, right? Look, look at the audacity of that statement. Mm. A book retailer to cloud services solving for medical. You know, left to myself, I don't think I could have ever articulated that, that value proposition. But that's what is happening in the marketplace today is people are thinking about these value propositions. and. And any one individual perhaps can do justice to think through everything, right? So, so the idea is how do you assemble these systems together that allow you to leverage it and drive superior performance in your industry, in your function. And that's where this whole notion of continuous innovation that uses, leverages all the available data becomes the king. Hmm. How you do it? Where you choose to deploy it, at what pace you do it, changes with industry, changes with company, changes with their culture. But the fact is, you can't ignore it. Mm. And that becomes a driving factor for how you think about it, at least in my opinion. Interesting. Wow. So, um, I think beautifully put. I think so. And thank you, Harsha, for walking us through that. So, um, if I am an executive, let's work on a, on, a, on a hypothesis, right? So, or, or uh, so if I'm an executive of a bank, um, and I was uh, and I was just recruited as a CDO, what do you think would be my bunch of initial tasks that I should worry about, or, or my KPIs? Uh, what do you think? What do you? What should I do? Yeah, um, great question. So, to me, in terms of getting started, you know, the number one thing I think of is um, selecting the right use cases. Um, data can be deployed in a, in a whole lot of different ways. Mm. But really what you want to do is figure out from your PNL where is your biggest opportunity. So typically that is, again, it's not like just because you have data and analytics, all of the historical management savviness can, can be tossed out of the window. So you need to look at your positioning. What is your key strength? And where are you versus industry either um, not up to par or where you want to distinguish yourself. And then deploy, develop deliberate use cases which allow you to build your strength or close your gaps. Look, you know, um, good to great came out decades ago. It still says for you to be great, you have to be really, really, really off the charts on one particular thing. You know, by the way, you cannot be great at everything, mm. right? I believe those management tenets still absolutely make sense. Understanding where you are great, where you want to be great, where you need to be great, understanding industry, understanding structure is all a part of strategy. 
using that as a way to then develop your use cases to say how do i deploy data to really be great in capital one's example it is all about credit risk management mm-hmm. you know the bank makes a lot of lending decisions in terms of subprime prime um businesses they need to manage their credit risk massively and they deploy data massively in that space mm-hmm. great for them that's where their superior returns comes from right um for a bank like uh, jp morgan chase or for you know a company like amazon they have their value propositions and where they want to deploy so for each company i think it is to understand your strengths your weaknesses your positioning in the market space what do your customers want what do you want and then using the daily use cases to essentially showcase how fast can you accelerate on that development curve and really knock the ball out of the park that's number one number two is where do you think about you know your data assets as in how much have you invested um banks because federal reserve and their central regulators have been a massive driver of change over there they've invested they have a lot of data assets other companies not so much you know they haven't really thought about this so where you are on that journey in terms of data assets and their ability to sync up is the other big piece because until you do that until you build the right infrastructure it's very hard for a data scientist to come in and leverage it right so so mix of those where you are infrastructurally and where you are strategically i think is the greatest place to start in terms of figuring out how do you get to the next step and then and then the last piece i'd say is continuously invest this is not about a one time mm. that's it i'm done i don't i hate this or i love this right it's about continuously experimenting as a way to change our culture to say in the past you know the the definition of what was a great employee was somebody who drove a lot of earnings that's still true except now in a knowledge economy equally important is this notion of understanding what is it that people want hmm no longer maybe you actually lost a little bit of stuff but if you absolutely know what your customers hate that in of itself is the, the value proposition because it avoids big mistakes hmm. it avoids the bank breaking types of things that can get you in hot waters and that is also a part of how you want to reward your value propositions so this this notion of how do we think um our workforce adds value needs to evolve what is risk what is, in a knowledge based learning the biggest risk is not learning what your customers want and how their choices are evolving and why they choose choose to continue to work with you versus all the options so i think if you look mm-hmm. at those three things and if you can take care of those three things rest assured before you know it you will be massively data oriented company i think beautifully put um and and what about what if i'm a business like what are the precursor that points me to a maybe it's time for me to get a cdo like what should i be what would be my checklist uh, as a business so as a business i think you know one it has to be open to say we don't know everything right a lot of businesses you know especially those that have been successful they've been successful because they figured out the formula mm. um the hardest challenge for a cdo or data 
application now is to say, well, maybe there is a way to optimize, improve the formula that you haven't thought of. Mm. That takes a right then and there you've created that cultural conflict. So it is critical for businesses to be an equal willing partner and saying there are ways for us to improve and be better. Right. And that comes, you know, as a statement, that's an easy thing to say. But with your actions to support it and to test it and to measure it on a regular basis really is something that business partnership becomes critical. Mm. You know, whether it's digitization, whether it is technology, whether it is data. I never forget that data is for the sake of corporate success. And if it is for the sake of, the first thing is me as a CDO needs to partner with all of our business people to talk about not only what will we do, but how will we do it differently? Why? Mm. It's very easy to build a model. The mathematics behind the model is, is not mm. that hard. Mm. It's generally existed now for decades. The key is then with those insights, with that analysis, with that model, what do you do differently? Because you can't have a model that says, I know what my top 20% customers look like. Mm. And if nothing changed, then really all I've done is spend the money building that model and understanding that there's no revenue there. For the revenue to exist now, the sales people have to say, okay, then where are my other next 20? And how do I really go after them? Which also, by the way, means I absolutely ignore maybe or deprioritize the remainder bottom 40%. That's very hard as a human being to do because we want to treat our customers well. But at some point, if the customer is less potential, you have to prioritize, which means you have to support it on a regular basis. So it's that building that ecosystem where data insights essentially result in a change operational behavior that then leads to new data. And that cycle has to complete itself. If you cut that cycle off, mm. The value proposition, it doesn't matter where you cut it on. Whichever way you draw the cut line, if you don't complete it, you're done for. And, and that to me is the key that business leaders bring to this is nurturing, helping that cycle be complete all the time. Interesting. Wow. And and so as per you, what is the fabric of a financial a successful chief data officer in a, in a financial service industry? What are some of the ingredients that uh, this particular sort of uh, position guy should hold? So, so I'll answer it in two parts. One is a technical part of the job, right? Mm. Everything from making the right investments, picking the right technology, consolidating data, and, and building the value propositions, building the model, so on and so forth. All the technical pieces that go with data. But an equally important part of cycle is nurturing that with partnerships along the organization in terms of actual deployment, measuring the value, and continuously improving. Mm. The third vector, I would argue, is you know, democratizing data. If you, mm. if you keep all the intelligence limited to your data science mm. world, you're lost. Democratizing it so that lots of people look at it and lots of people think about their own innovation in their own space, such that everybody then kind of is thinking about innovation. So it's not a function of a group, a person, a set of people, 
that really starts kind of you know changing the paradigm around see as a, as a human being i can only focus on finite number of things mm. but thousand human beings can focus on a massively large number of finite things mm. that's where you know, your ops costs start decreasing your revenue start increasing because the sales people focus on one the operational people focus on one so democratizing this data democratizing insights making it available to that line of scrimmage is an absolute sort of three key pieces that help i think sustain this and build this over time interesting and um i think so talk about finite things i think that's another area that i uh, i'm glad we're segueing into that so um we are seeing almost every technology nowadays going through disruption and whenever disruption happens it happens in its s curve right now you are at at an interesting position at who can actually have a good vantage point in at many of the disruption whether you call it blockchain whether you call it ai whether you call it uh, smart cloud or whatever you call it right how would you keep yourself sane like how would you keep yourself because i think one of the tricky thing that i sort of uh, talk to most of the leaders that i i i talk to was that as a as a leader as, as a technology leader you are holding a very interesting balance so you are maintaining and preserving and protecting the culture of the company that has a secret sauce and then you are recruiting the technology and i think you have pointed out in, in in some ways the same thing it's that that dichotomy of hey should i stuck to the old because that has been working or how much should i open myself to the new right and now as a data data officer you have or you have been having sort of this uh, first access to this disruption how do you recruit or how do you keep yourself sane or how do you ensure that businesses stay relevant uh, when they are going through disruption yeah great point um my, my take is you know um, especially in the data world uh, i think of my team as a mix of those technically savvy people who i absolutely need for their technical benefit mm. but i also need kind of you know the the business savvy people who can translate the insights into an actual actionable strategy um, may, maybe i'll give you an example um, long ago when i was a part of capital one uh, in the auto finance business uh, you know we had lost a lot of money um, going into that 2007 2008 financial uh, tsunami time frame the business lost close to 8 900 million dollars uh, at that time um, and yet by 2012 we were back to making almost you know half a billion dollars mm. and a lot of it had to do with uh, really kind of the data insights that we found on behalf of the business right but those insights and converting them into an actionable strategy actually required the modelers working with the sales people working with the operational people to provide unparalleled um service to what we call the diamond dealers hmm. so we had a diamond dealer program that we that, you know the genesis of it was from from kind of the analytic insight that we found and then we had to create a value proposition for why the diamond dealers wanted to work with us and then we had to service them in a way that fair you know they felt that they were really getting superior service so implementing that meant working with sales working with so and, and that's where to me you know the the start and when i think about hiring people 
it's that mix of folks who are really technically savvy can dig and figure out which algorithms, which you know, mathematical methods to apply to solve a particular problem. That's one part of it. Mm. The other part of it is to then take this input and then convert it into an actionable strategy. What should people do differently? Why? What mm. should they expect? So, so this notion of you know experimenting and and having developed small experiments so that you don't allow you don't say people okay just trust me trust the data that mm. nobody takes that big a leap of change but how do you incrementally influence people to change your strategy over time measure it consistently measure it optimize it so so those two mixes are kind of what I think now. Ideally, you want all of that in one person. When mm. practically speaking, I think you know that is several different people that fill in the niches. So, so in my own team, you know, I have people that have uh, uh, legacy experience with the business, mm. external hires that are specific experts in a couple of areas, and then there are these change management experts that their entire job is to say. How do we take this and then operationalize it? Who needs to do what? Why? How do we make it something such that you know people embrace the change and focus on the upside rather than the downside? You know, one of the things I've learned is I come in and say automation, cost saves, revenue generation, but oftentimes my audience, mm. a lot of other employees, they hear you telling. Me, I've been an idiot. You're telling me I will lose my job. It becomes mm. an existential threat, and I have to be savvy enough to to overcome that, turn them around, and talk about the future upside rather mm. than the past issues. I don't have anyone given right to say I come in to critique you. Mm. I have my role is to say how do I make the future far better so that your career will grow. Faster than what it has in the previous time. Interesting. Wow. Um, I think. Thank you for walking us through that. I think that that's pretty relevant. So now let's let's focus. Uh, and we're almost at the tail end of the conversation, Harsh. And I think thank you so much for being very really, really candid and and walking, helping us walk through that. So let's talk about you for a few minutes. So what what has been sort of your ingredient to success so far? If 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 we line it up, sort of your career so far. What are like two to three ingredients that has really helped you uh, stay relevant and stay successful in your journey so far? Um, sure. So to me, um, you know, this goes back to kind of very early in my career when, um, as a data analyst, I think as a naive data analyst, I would say I defined my job as generating all of these reports and insights, and um a, a very respected mentor of mine sat down with me i was frustrated because i was generating all of this and never saw kind of you know any excitement or change happening so i was i was really really frustrated and so i sat down with a gentleman who then sort of counseled me and said look great you know it was this like year thick report that had all mm. sorts of insights in that 2 300 page document And and his simple question to me was, so what? Mm. 
and then you know for the next 15 minutes i probably highlighted all the so what <laughs> for him saying you know you realize this is going on and that is going on and this is going on and based on this you should do this and he said great this is what people care about what mm. are you solving for it is the so what should redefine your role right the fact that you are doing all of this analysis and coming up with the insights is is 80% of your time and at max it should be 80% of your time the other 20% of your time is answering so what now mm. you have to go talk to people who are relevant and say do you realize and hence so what should you be doing differently i will tell you that one conversation has been um transformative for me because mm. since then i have always focused on the so what mm. the inputs are critical don't get me wrong the inputs mm. are critical a lot of people when they talk about data or digital you know unfortunately focus on the inputs mm. i am building a lake i am building machine learning i have ai deployed mm. great but at the end of the day ai deployment is a box mm. so what because of ai deployment what are you doing differently and hence how are you measuring so that you understand you have a positive return on your investment are you measuring it where are you measuring it why are you measuring it where are you optimizing the so what conversation is just so critical and to me that is arguably the one biggest thing i always ask my team to think about is so what hmm. you centralize all the data so what hmm. who is leveraging that to now develop different oversight in our world right actuaries have actuarial databases finance does their own projections but actuarial projections are generally long term financial projections how do you know how do you meld them together so you have a much more defined financial trajectory for your institution hmm. is an absolute so what of it how do you then identify the outer your risks and take actions to solve for it now those are the kind of so much that are transformative for business and by the way you realize none of this has got anything to do with cloud ai bi mm. dark learning so on mm. and so forth. Mm. those are tools of trade mm. you need tools of trade but unless you understand the so what unless you understand what you need to do all of the tools are just that cost Hmm. You essentially never trade off your cost unless you understand the upside, and so focusing on that. So what is really my biggest transformative issue in my entire journey? Fascinating, Harsh. I think that's a, that's I. I've written it. I think I, I I'll try to follow that too. It's beautiful. So um, one thing that we ask all of our guests uh, to share is one of their favorite read. that they have for our our listeners and and viewers do you have one that you could share um say that again my favorite what your favorite read any book that that you like that you want to share um my favorite read continues to be good to great because to me mm. from management perspective um as much as it is all about strategy and how companies do it my view is it is equally applicable to my own self what am i what do i need to be great at if i am a ceo what do i really need to be great at 
and what do I need to be just okay with? Hmm. I am not the best CFO. I am not the best CMO. They roles exist, but for me to be a great CEO, what do I really need to knock the ball on, and how do I get there? So, so it's a it's it's an intensely personal journey, but I think that framework is just so applicable, and I'm just found it hmm. as a massively uplifting. Way to think about the strategy of me, hmm. right? As much as the corporate strategy, I believe your career is something that doesn't abstractly happen. You have to manage your career proactively, and to manage your career proactively, you have to understand who you are. You have to develop your value proposition, and every single day you have to make sure you work with your environment so that they will help you grow and develop. Hmm. That is. That's my absolute best read to this date that I that I leverage a lot. Awesome. So, uh, Harsh, with that, thank you so much. I think this is fascinating conversation and and, and remarkable, remarkably great. Thank you for being super candid. And I think one thing that I definitely want to add to uh, what I think in in my experience, one of the one of the fabric that I have seen many of the great leaders in in data science space they have is the ability to partner or the willingness to partner the willingness to sort of collaborate and sort of create this councils that can educate them about this whether you call it uh, technology whether you call it leadership whether you call it strategy i think your voice has i think that's one of the takeaway that i would even i would i would feel that uh, our listeners uh, could should take away from this is that you should be really really open to partnering and i think i i've said i've listened about i think 17 uh, examples in your pitch emphasizing the importance of hey partner create this council talk to them get people to things for you i think and and i do appreciate uh you for sharing that perspective oh absolutely i think you know my simple mental model in that is as a as a as a data person my inputs all come from technology yeah. my outputs all go to business so unless i can understand my inputs and i can create the right outputs the processing has no value right. too <laughs> so that's where the notion of partnership to me absolutely comes that's my mental model i think so thank you so much harsh and with that do you have any uh, parting thought for our for our listeners and viewers so, so i'm so sorry of, you know we we kind of barely scratched the surface on what is possible and so to me the fact that the barely scratch the surface automatically implies that we need to continuously learn experiment and focus on the so what mm. such that the companies that we work for the roles that we are in they see the benefit and as a derived benefit our own careers grow that mm. to me is just the absolutely most exciting part about data and its journey thank you so much i think your so what is is beautiful i think very few times i have heard like very clear and very clean sort of uh, hack that a leader could do to sort of to unravel a lot of mysteries and i think that's one of those so with that harsh you're always welcome back on the podcast wish you nothing but success in your journey and whenever you're in boston let's let's meet over a, over a coffee or a bar and uh, thank you so much with that uh, Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. We shall looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable. Don't know anybody here. Just a
couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down. I hope I'm not up on this.